The Book of First Chronicles Chapter 1 Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. The sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Ramah, and Saptaka. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on earth. Egypt was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lahabites, Nephtahites, Pathrusites, Kashlahites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. The sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. These were their descendants. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbiel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nephish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael. The sons born to Keturah, Abraham's concubine, Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. The sons of Jokshan, Sheba, and Dan. The sons of Midian, Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the descendants of Keturah. Abraham was the father of Isaac, the sons of Isaac, Esau, and Israel. The sons of Esau, Eliphaz, Ruel, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. The sons of Eliphaz, Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz, by Timna, Amalek. First Chronicles 2 These were the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua. Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, bore Perez and Zerah to Judah. He had five sons in all, the sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamal, the sons of Zerah, Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Calcol, and Dardah, five in all, the son of Carmi, Akar, who brought trouble on Israel by violating the ban on taking devoted things, the son of Ethan, Azariah, the descendants of Jehoiachin, the captive, Shealtiel, his son, Malkaram, Pedaiah, Shenazer, Jechamiah, Hoshama, and Nedabiah, the sons of Pedaiah, Zerubbabel, and Shimei, the sons of Zerubbabel, Meshalem, and Hananiah. Shelemith was their sister. There were also five others, Hashabah, Ohel, Berechiah, Hasadiah, and Jushab, Hesed. 
the descendants of Hananiah, Pelatiah, and Jeshaiah, and the sons of Rephaiah, of Arnan, of Obadiah, and of Shechaniah, the descendants of Shechaniah, Shemaiah, and his sons, Hattush, Igal, Bariah, Neriah, and Shaphat, six in all, the sons of Neriah, Elinoi, Hizkiah, and Azrakam, three in all, the sons of Elinoi, Hodaviah, Eliashib, Pelaiah, Akub, Johanan, Delaiah, and Anani, seven in all. Please have your Bibles open to 1 Chronicles. I was watching some TV, or watching is uh, maybe not the correct word, I was flicking through some channels on the TV some time ago, and there was a comedy show on. And in this show, the, the, uh, the father of the house had gone to church, and he'd come to church, and you could tell he was a little uncomfortable there, and the Bible was being read, and what they were reading was what you just heard. And it's going name after name after name. And so the father's there and he's, his eyes are rolling and he's going, uh, <laughs> is this what church is like? And, and I guess for the show, this was meant to, to be funny. It was meant to be funny. You know, here's a funny thing. You go to church and they read these names. Isn't it funny? It might be weird. And maybe you're a visitor here this morning and you think, that was weird. That, that was weird. Genealogies can be hard to read. There's difficult names. You really have to concentrate to pronounce them carefully. For those of us who are Christians, when we come to this part of the Bible, we know that it's God's word. And so when I'm doing my Bible reading, I don't just say, I'm going to skip these. I go, no, I've actually got to read this as I would read any other part of the Bible, but it's, it's hard work. And I may not be sure what to do with it. You know how you have your Bible reading and then, you know, what does this teach me about God? What, you know, what can I, how can I apply this verse today? And you might be thinking, I'm not really sure how to do that. I mean, how would you teach these chapters to your children? The youth went out for a youth lesson this morning, would they do this chapter? Would they read these out to the kids, and you know, and what would they do? When I was uh, when I was uh, raising my children, one of the things I liked to do for them was to give them a one sentence summary for each book of the Bible. And so we'd do that on Leviticus. You know, this is how a holy God lives with a sinful people. And so I try to give them tips on how to read a book of the Bible so that they could understand it. What would I do with this if you're doing your Bible reading at home with your family? Would, would you just skip this and never do it? If you're a non-Christian, why should you read it? Well, I want to say that there are reasons and purposes to genealogies. So if you met, if we had here an Indigenous Australian a First Nations people from the region of Launceston. And he got up and he was telling you his genealogy. From him back to his father, 
back to his father, to his aunties, going back and back. Then that would probably make a bit more sense to us, wouldn't it? Probably wouldn't find it funny or weird. Well, you see, there are reasons and purposes to the genealogies in the Bible. They show connections. They authenticate. They give you a context. They trace out a history. And if you know the names, they tell a story. And this is how the book of Chronicles begins and is famous for with these genealogies. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, I want to begin, first of all, by, by looking at Chronicles and its, its place in the canon. The word canon means the collection of books that make up the Bible. Now, for us Gentile Christians, that is for those of us who are not Jewish, we have the book of Chronicles arranged chronologically in terms of the history that it covers. So what I mean by that is we put the book of Chronicles after the book of Kings. And so Kings talks about the kings of Israel and Two Chronicles talks about the kings of Israel. So we put kings first, then we have Chronicles. But if you were to get a Jewish Bible, like this one here, you can come and have a look at this. This is some Hebrew. You can have a look at it. This is the language the Old Testament's written in. When you get this type of Bible, the book of Chronicles is actually the last book in the Bible. The Jews put it last. And that's because it's most likely written last. It's the last book it appears to be that was written. Now you can see this in chapter 3. Just have a look at chapter 3, verse 17, which was the last reading we had. And you'll see there, in chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The descendants of Jehoiachin, the captive. Now that's referring to the Israelite king who was captured by Nebuchadnezzar and taken to Babylon in what's called the exile. But notice what happens with his genealogy. It goes on to his sons. It says the descendants of Jehoiachin, the captive. And then it goes on to his sons, Padiah, Zerubbabel. And then it goes down about six or seven generations. So, the exile to Babylon happens in the year 597 BC. They come back and this genealogy, which is, I take it, the way of dating the book, continues for about another six or seven generations after the Jews get back from Babylon. That's a long time, six or seven generations. This book is late. This book, the book of Chronicles, is taking you right up and it's poking at the New Testament. The book of Chronicles is poking at the New Testament. We can think of it as, oh, it's after Kings. It's right back then. No, no, no. It's possibly the very last. It might be with Malachi. Malachi might be the last or this one. But it's right up there. And as I said, it's poking it, saying we're almost at the New Testament. 
Now, why was the book written? Well, as I'd just been describing, the Jews had been under judgment for their faithlessness to God. They had turned aside from God and turned to idolatry, and they'd refused to listen to God's word. And God judged them by raising up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who came to Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, destroyed the city, and took many of the people captive to Babylon. What's happened now is that they've come back from Babylon, as I've said, and it's now been about seven generations that they've come back. It's a long time since they've returned from Babylon. They've rebuilt the temple. The temple's up and going. They've rebuilt the wall under Nehemiah. The wall's offering them protection. But things are not that good. And they're asking the question, who are we as a people? Why are we doing this? What are we meant to be doing? We've rebuilt the temple, we've rebuilt the wall, but not much else has happened. The Messiah hasn't come, the kingdom of God hasn't come. What are we to do? These are the types of questions that they're asking. And the book of Chronicles answers it for them. And it's going to tell them who they are and what their place is in the world. And it's going to do that by beginning with Adam and then going right through to their return. And it's going to give them all the data they need to understand who they are and what their place is in, in the world. Now, in doing that, we're, we're going to find out our place as well. But the book is primarily written to Jews. We're Gentiles. We're, we're listening in and we're going to see how it applies to us. But we've got to listen first how it applied to God's people, the Jews, first. Well, what is it that God said to these Jewish people? Let's have a look. Chronicles chapter 1. To these people who are wondering their place in the world, what they're meant to be doing. Verses 1 and 2. Adam. Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared. So the very first word is the word Adam, Adam. When we say the word Adam, that should remind us of something. I think if anyone was reading this, they would have got that first word right, that first name. They would have got Adam right. But, but what does Adam teach us? Well, God, Adam teaches us God's purpose in creation, that God made the man Adam in his image to bring him glory and to, to bless Adam. To bless Adam with life. And Adam was to worship God. So these are all the ideas that come with Adam. The idea of the image of God. Bringing glory to God. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. We're meant to be blessed by God. We're meant to have the, share in the life of God. As we eat from the tree of life. And this is why God's made us. But notice where the genealogy ends. It begins with Adam and it keeps going. Look at verse 13. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, uh, Semarites, and Hamathites. And I think most of us would have been able to get those names right as well, because they're names that we read about, aren't we, when Israel comes into the land. But notice where it begins. It begins with one man, 
and it ends up with the nations of the world. You see, these lists are not just individuals. It's doing more than just that. And as you go through the list, it talks about the names associated with Spain and Greece and other places. You see, from one man, God made every nation of men that they might perhaps reach out for him and worship him. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Athens. That's what this genealogy is showing. One man, all the nations of the world, that they should worship him. But when you read those names, the, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, we know that humanity hasn't done that. What have we done? We've turned aside to idols. We've turned aside and ignored God. We've turned our back on the creator. And so the nations have gone astray. And so instead of having life and glory and giving glory to God, we've brought shame to God. This is what humanity's done. We haven't brought glory to God. We brought shame to God. And so we have sin and death. Now, this is what Israel needed to know. When they came back, they needed to know that the nations of the world, that the world around them does, does not bring glory to God. The world is given over to sin and death and idolatry. This is the first genealogy. This is the world they live in. Now, the genealogy then continues. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 28. The sons of Abraham, Isaac, uh, sorry, Isaac and Ishmael, these are their descendants. And we now have Abraham being mentioned, a genealogy of Abraham. Now, why is Abraham important? Well, it's because God made a promise to Abraham amongst the nations of the world. Let me just read it to you. Genesis chapter 1 verses chapter Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 The Lord said to Abram leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you you see, into this world, which is turned away from God, God chooses one man, Abraham, to make a new nation, to make his people. And through this man, Abraham, there's going to be nations that are going to come. And God's blessing is going to come to this world. God's blessing of life to a sinful world given over to death is going to come through this man, Abraham. Now, as we go through Abraham's descendants, we see there's Ishmael, uh, Abraham's firstborn by his concubine Sarah, uh, sorry, Hagar. And, uh, and we get all of Ishmael's family lines and all the tribes that come from him. Then we get Keturah, uh, another one of Abra Abraham's uh, servants um, who he has after his wife dies, after his uh, wife Sarah dies, and all the nations that come through her. And then, of course, we get Isaac and Esau through his wife Sarah. And so what we see here is that the promise given to Abraham came true. There are all these nations that came from Abraham just as God said. But the list also shows us something else. And that is, yes, there was Ishmael and there was Isaac, but God chose Isaac. He didn't chose 
didn't choose Ishmael. And yes, there was Esau and Jacob. Jacob becomes the man Israel. There was Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the, Esau was the firstborn. But God chose Jacob. God chose Israel. And so this list also shows us God's sovereign choice. That he's chosen Abraham to, to speak to the world, but it's not all of Abraham's descendants, it's not all of Abraham's tribes. It's this particular tribe called Israel. And then we had those readings in chapter 2, and, and that begins a lot easier for us, isn't it? Chapter 2. These are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. Again, I guess most of us could read those ones. You see, God has chosen amongst all the nations of the world one nation to be his special nation in this world, and this is the nation of Israel. Come back with me to Exodus chapter 19. Have a look at the purpose of this nation of Israel. Chapter 19, so Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Here is God speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So notice there, there's all the nations of the world, but God has chosen the nation of Israel to be his nation and to be a kingdom of priests. The nation of Israel is a priestly nation. Now, what does a priest do? A priest is a mediator. A priest stands between God and the people. And the nation of Israel is a priestly nation. They stand between God and the nations of the world. And this is one thing we need to remember as Gentiles, as non-Jewish, apologies if you are Jewish, but if, I assume most of us aren't Jewish, we need to realise the special place that Israel has. We're going to do a quick Bible flick now. I just want you to get a, a feel for this because we need to keep our place as Gentiles when we read the Bible. Come with me to Psalm 147. I'm going to just look at a couple of verses here. Psalm 147, verse 19 and 20. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. You see the place of Israel there. Come across with me to Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my glory. So how is God going to display his glory? He displays it in the stars above but he's particularly going to display his glory through the nation of Israel. Come with me to Amos chapter 3, verse 2. 
Amos chapter 3, verse 2. Amos chapter 3, verse 2. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Come with me to John chapter 4. Let's see how Jesus speaks about this. John chapter 4, verse 22. Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman, he says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, that is the Jews, worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Let's look at Romans chapter 3. I'm laboring this point because I just think it's one we we need to get clear. Romans chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. What advantage is there there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. You see how Paul's just continuing this message of the Old Testament? The last one, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. It says... The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. You see, Israel has a special mission that the English don't have. English has a special mission that the Dutch don't have. English have a special mission that the United States of America doesn't have. I don't care what nation you come from, the nation of Israel is different. God made this nation different. Now, how are they going to fulfill their mission? Now that they're back. Well, what we see in these chapters, if we go back to Chronicles, what we're going to see is that as you continue to read through these nine chapters, that each tribe is mentioned. And very often it's said that they're back in their land, they're back in their, their particular section that they're meant to be in. And so what we see is that these people that God has chosen to be his nation to the world, are back in the land after the exile. They're authenticated back in the land. They're back where where they belong. That is, the mission continues. You're back in the land. Your genealogy is complete. Your genealogy authenticates them having come back and it's telling them you are God's people. The mission continues. As we read through, we see that it talks about Judah. And uh, it gives particular mention of Judah because from him will come the Davidic kings. And we looked at that genealogy of all the kings of the sons of David, of Jehoiachin. That's an important genealogy because the Messiah comes from from that lineage, from that genealogy. And so as they wait for the Messiah, 
the descendants of David are still there. Just imagine living after the exile back in the land and you're one of David's descendants, a potential Messiah who can bring the kingdom of God, a potential person for whom the promises of the Messiah could be fulfilled. That's what it's saying. When when the Jews are in Jerusalem, when they're in Israel, they can look at this genealogy and they can actually see these sons of David who potentially could be the Messiah. And they're looking at them saying, which one's going to do it? Which one's going to fulfill our purpose? Which one's going to fulfill our mission? It talks about the, the, the sons of Levi from whom the sons of Aaron or the priests come from. And so we see that the kings are all there and they're authenticated and they're all ready to, to, to go. We see that the priests are there and they're ready to go. And so the mission remains. Israel is back in the land. Yes, things have been tough for them. Yes, it's been generations since they've come back and it may not look like much is happening. But the book of Chronicles says you are God's people in God's place and the mission remains. Now, what are these genealogies saying to us who are not Jewish? Well, they speak to us, don't they? And they remind us that God made us. God is our creator. God made us in his image. God made us with the purpose of bringing him glory. God made us so that we would share in his life. But that because of sin, because we've turned away from God, we're now banished from God's presence and we are given over to sin and death. We are actually the nations of the world. We're the Girgashites. We're the Hivites. We're those ones that have gone out and aren't bringing glory to God. But we're to look at these lists and say, but God has acted in this world. God chose the man Israel, Abraham, and God has spoken to the world through Abraham, through this nation of Israel. Now, we need to think about this because we already believe this. You see, God has acted in the world, and to understand the world, you need to actually know the history of Israel. That's, that's what this is saying to us. It's saying if you want to know how God has acted in the world and what the purpose of the world is, you need to know the history of Israel. Just think about it. Many of us here, probably half of us, I guess, are named after biblical characters. I assume that most of us here would know more about the history of Israel than we do of the equivalent time of our own culture. That's certainly the case for me. I know more of Israel's history than I do of my British past. I know something of that and I study it, but I know more of Israel's history. Now, the reason that we do that is because we know that God has acted through this nation of Israel. And we we focus on their history in the book of Kings, of Chronicles, of Samuel, because we see there God has acted in the world. God has explained himself. Now, there are two responses that can happen here. The first is that the Jews, as God's chosen people, can feel arrogant and superior to others and despised people. And we see that being dealt with in the New Testament. And so, as the Jews are God's chosen people, we are, that does not give them an excuse for injustice. 
It doesn't mean that they can just do whatever they want to the nations around them. They're actually condemned for that in the Bible. So that they can't just be cruel and vicious to people and say, well, we're God's chosen people. We can do whatever we want. God judges them. God judges them harshly. But for us as Gentiles, we mustn't just automatically assume that we just fit in and that there's no difference between us and the Jewish nation. That's assuming too much. Now, these genealogies, where do they lead us? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the New Testament begins with a genealogy. Begins with a genealogy. We might think, oh, you know, what, what place do genealogies have? Well, when the New Testament starts to say, let us tell you about Jesus, let us tell you about Christianity, it begins with a genealogy that overlaps with what we see in Chronicles. They overlap. It says what you were reading in Chronicles, what, what Chronicles was poking at, is now coming to its fulfilment with Jesus. You see, Chronicles leads us straight to Jesus because Jesus completes... Israel's mission. Jesus completes Israel's mission. And this is what all of the Gospels declare because when you're reading the Gospels, what do we see? Well, we see in Matthew, Mark and Luke, we see Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptised by John, receiving the Holy Spirit. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days like Israel was out there for 40 nights. And when he's out in the wilderness, like Israel was out in the wilderness, he's given all the same temptations that Israel was given, the nation of Israel. And every time Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. Jesus doesn't sin. And he responds in the word of God. You see, Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. He is the fulfillment of of Israel. He is the true Israelite. He is the true priest. He is the true king. He is the true temple. He is the true sacrifice. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the nation of Israel was to be as it speaks to the world. The nation of Israel comes to its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. This is what the gospel documents are. They're proclaiming the completion of Israel, the fulfilment of the law, and what this means for, for Israel's mission now to the world. Because with Jesus, with him keeping the law of God, with him dying and suffering the curse of the law, dying for our sins, this is how we receive the blessing of God. Jesus' righteous life, his keeping of the law of God, his perfect obedience to the Father, means that he, he earns the resurrection life. He, he earns the blessings that we should have done, he does on our behalf. What Israel should have done, he does on Israel's behalf. The judgment he suffers on the cross is our judgment. He pays for our sins. Jesus has done everything to bring you back to God. Jesus has done everything to bring the blessings of God to you. He fulfills God's promise to Abraham. He fulfills the purpose of Israel. 
If you want to know how God has acted in this world, you need to look at Jesus. If you look at Jesus, you'll see that God loves you, that God has done everything to save you, to bring life and mercy to, to you through the person of Jesus. Now, for us who are Christians, who have joined into the nation of Israel, who through Christ come to share in these promises of God, well, we share in the mission of Israel as well. We share in that mission. And our goal is to see that what God has done in Jesus is, is to be made known amongst the nations of the world so that they too may have the life of God, so that they too may know that their sins are forgiven, so that they too may be able to call God Father and be at peace with God. Amen.